brands rely on this to be able to build inventory that will sell, um, be able to anticipate what the new trends will be. So it's a combination of things, right? Hey, Stefan. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Ravi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, really cool to have you on because you're you're uh, you're part of Verizon's fashion startup zone, isn't it? Is that right? We are. Yeah. So we're affiliated um, with both Ryerson Fashion Zone and the DMZ. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, it's the first time for us to have someone from the, the fashion zone on. Really curious to know about what's going on there. But before that, um, what's going on? How how's things matter? Things are good. Um, interesting times, uh, super busy, uh, but I think good overall for our industry. Um, we're really focused on building a white glove e-commerce business. Mm -hmm. And given the state of, you know, where we're at, given the closures and just given people's general um, adoption towards e-commerce in general, mm -hmm. we're very excited about um, and optimistic about uh, the future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, e-commerce has taken a big boom um, during this pandemic. Uh, I think the early numbers were like the first three months of the pandemic, uh, the entire e-commerce industry grew about like 10%, like three years worth of growth happened. Yeah. So McKinsey did a study on this, actually mm -hmm. super interesting. So the pandemic accelerated adoption of digital by five years. <laughs> So that curve steepened by five years. That's really the, the rapid change. And most of that is attributed towards people that weren't using it and had no choice but to learn how to use e-commerce. Yeah. I mean, I, I was definitely one of those people. Um, I, I hated the idea of like buying clothes online. Like I, I rarely buy clothes. When I do, I, I buy in bulk. You know, I buy, I, I go on like binges. And generally, I, I want to go on and try them on because I'm like, I have no idea what I'm looking for, right? Uh, as a dude, like, you know, you don't really like think about how things are going to look. You don't like spend too much time on like, on like fashion or all that stuff until like thing actually looks uh, like it's on you. Then you're like, okay, I'll buy this, you know, and you kind of make that experience. So, so I actually made the switch to, you know, buying stuff online, like especially when it comes to clothes during the pandemic. So I'm definitely in that category. Yeah. And I mean, it really fits into the behavior. So manner, it's just for men. Uh, you know, a lot of our clients buy a bunch of stuff kind of upfront and all in one shot. So mm -hmm. I'd actually, I'd love to learn about uh, your experience buying on e-commerce. Do you like it more than you thought you would have? And uh, which areas would you want to see improved? I, I like it because of the choice, right? Like, yeah, I can see stuff like a lot of the stuff I've seen like I, I buy uh, is like impulse, you know, I saw it, I see it on like an Instagram store, like, you know, on Instagram. I'm like, oh, I can buy this and then just randomly buy it. And then literally right after I'm like, why did I buy that? Like, is it going to, you know, what am I going to use this for? Where am I going to wear this? Right. But, but generally, like one of the things I get is the anxiety of like, is it going to fit? Like, are the, like, you know, I have such like a, it's such like a, such like a, negative mindset when it comes to like fits right like yeah it says that these are the fits on the on the website these are the labels but is that right is it the type of fit i want and do i want this to be baggy or not right it's just like for especially for like uh clothing right it's such like a something i don't think about much so when i do i just want like have all the information and you can't really get that e-commerce right um 
like on top of that like uh like i use this, i used a service back in the day uh, a few years ago called indochino right the bespoke uh the suits of course. Yeah. right like yeah they're yeah. legends in, in canada yeah. yeah um what i liked about them was that you know you get measurements done and then once those measurements are in the system you can order whatever suits you want and then they customize it for you and that took away that anxiety for me it's like okay they already have my measurements they can't mess that up right they know exactly what my thing is so i always thought i'm like how do you how do we blend that in right how do i upload my measurements or what what it looks like to me or like test it out you know that thing like that was always my blocker and even even now like um, even though we're forced to buy things online I mean, especially when it comes to things like clothing clothes and stuff like that i'm not there yet to be like a primary adopter you know yeah, well, I mean, you know, all of the reasons that you just mentioned really was the reason why we created Manor in the first place. Mm. So just for a little bit of context, um, my last business, Localize, was the first uh, fashion marketplace and first marketplace actually built for Shopify when they released their sales channel SDK. So we were the first exclusive marketplace built for them and we sold fashion. But the area that we took is, you know, enabling local shopping. So you know how if you walk down like Queen West or Yorkville, there are a lot of boutiques and in like, you know, kind of really nice shops. I always thought, hey, how would I ever discover these stores unless I actually work downtown? So what we did is rolled that up into a marketplace where you can shop neighborhoods from all across North America. Anyway, long story short, built the supply side up very quickly. We were the number one trending app on Shopify, you know, several times over uh, over a span of six months. Um, on the demand side though, you know, we were very much a traditional e-commerce business. So mm. we were competing with established players like Farfetch, for example, and in the eyes of the consumer, the experience was the same. So you just had to spend a lot of money to keep this customer's attention, acquire the customer, reacquire the customer, target the customer. So really what we thought was, how do we take everything that frankly sucks about buying clothes online? And it's all of those problems that you were referring to. The fit, how do you pair this stuff together? Where do I go? Is this fabric gonna even look good on me? Uh, is there a reason or purpose why I'm buying it? Like that consulting piece. So our professional stylists are able to help you with all of that up front, And you can answer all those questions, that decision-making process, like right up front. And then the big problem is um, actually trying stuff on. So with us, we deliver it to you. We have um, a, like mm. a white glove, like delivery service, deliver it to you. You can try everything on at home. And then if you ever need to return or exchange anything, you just text your stylist. And like, we either bring you the right garment or we take your return for you. So our customers just basically look at it as a way to try stuff on at, in the comfort of their own home. And then mm. you have somebody taking it for you. So that's why Manor was created. That's uh, that's a really interesting concept. It's almost like bringing the store to you rather than just purchasing, uh, you know, pre-purchasing things. Yeah, like, you know, with stores, candidly, like it's an experience that our customer, like we're focused on men and uh, our customers, you know, they don't like going to the store, that overall experience, right? But they yeah. want to look good and they want to dress well. So for us, it's all about, you know, how do you just take e-commerce to another level? That's why we call it white glove. And how do you make shopping super easy, efficient, effective and comfortable? Mm. Yeah, so let's uh, let's break that down. So, 
I mean, one of the holy grails in like in like especially fashion tech has been the you know it's been like the promise of AR, right? You scan yourself, and you can throw you know you can throw uh, clothes onto yourself either through like a virtual reality system or like an augmented reality system, or you just have like a scan of yourself and then you put things on onto it, right? And we're, you know, there's a lot of like movement in the space, but we seem to be a few iterations away from that space, right? Um, are you guys trying to challenge, take on that challenge at all, or do you do trying to do like pre-fit stuff before, or are you doing more about like you know ad hoc like like a store would? Yeah, like for us right now, that that technology wouldn't provide you know uh, incremental value to the mm-hmm. extent that like we would make it one of our priorities, like. Our uh, return rate is only 15%, which is well below the 40% return rate in the industry. So like the reason for that is because like, you know, we, we have really robust data in terms of the brands that we work with. um, And we have that knowledge of what will fit, what won't fit. So just having that knowledge upfront and being able to deliver that like customized service solves the fit problem upfront. You know, maybe at a later stage when a lot of these technologies are a lot, you know, more developed and the partners that we have have like, because you need two sides, right? You need your body and then you need like the measurement itself. It could be something for sure in the future. But like with our business right now, um, the stylists are doing a fantastic job of delivering that that level of service to our customers. Cool. Like, okay. So, I mean, those sound like really good positives to the company, like, you know, being able to as a customer experience, you know, being able to, you know, try a bunch of clothes. So can you walk me through that cadence? Like, what do I do? Like, do I go through your app? Do I choose a bunch of items and then those items get delivered to me and then I can get to try them on? Like, how does that Yeah. Work? Yeah. So how it works is you start on our website. So mm-hmm. www.getmanner.com. There's a start now button and that's our intake. And the yeah. intake will take some data points on you. So what's your body type? What's your style? What's your budget? Like, what are your goals or, or personalized needs? It takes about three minutes. From there, we're capturing these data points and it helps us build a profile on you to give your stylist a head start on, you know, ideas and what you might like and what your goals are. From there, the stylist will engage you uh, through text message, set up an appointment with you. So at a time that works for you, at that point, the first step is to look at some styles together. So. During your appointment, you'll look at some style ideas. The stylist is further evaluating like what your personal style is and what it is that you're after. Like, what kind, how do you dress? Are you like more of like a, a preppy person? Are you more of like a, a Bay Street type of person? Are you more of like a streetwear person? Are you, you know, and then just another dimension. Like, do you like colors and patterns and prints? Do you like like blues, grays, blacks? Like what kind of, you know what I mean? Just like Mm. all of these style elements. So they'll get that dialed in. And then the next step is to curate something that we call a lookbook. So they'll curate outfits, send it to you through text, through our web tool. In that lookbook, you can choose uh, the garments that you want, as little as one or as much as all of them. Um, Make the purchase right off the lookbook. And then your job is done. From there, uh, we procure the product, we package it, and then we work with um, a logistics partner to get it mailed to you. Once you get the products, you can try them on at home. If you need to exchange or return anything, you just text your stylist, for example, hey, these jeans that I bought are too big, can we size down? No problem. We'll send somebody to bring you the right size, and then you can give your, what kind, well, how do you, yeah. back to the, um, 
customer and then uh or back to the driver rather and then we'll just take it for you cool i mean that sounds really interesting i like the idea of like having somebody in between almost like a, a account manager almost like someone who's like uh taking care taking care of your needs and like watching after you right i like the idea of, like having like a, fa- a then... consultant so, <clears throat> how much of this is self-driven versus like like consulted right like like i i often don't know <laughs> what i want you know generally you go to a store you look at the mannequins you see what else is out there and then you and then you go in same thing with e-commerce right you look through that but is there any 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 kind of way to build like a recommendation system or like a recommendation person you no know, like how would i how could i get like better insights into what i could be wearing your stylist will take care of that. So we have some, um, you know, process and technology uh, in the background. We call it magic in the background that help yeah. us like assist um, with like cut products that you'd have like a higher likeliness or propensity to purchase. And we just give you super hyper customized uh, outfit ideas. So all the outfits are laid out in a way that they all work together. And you could choose like, hey, are the, do these work for me or not? And if they don't work, you can just go through another iteration or two or three or however many it takes with your stylist until we get it bang on. But the process that I was referring to beforehand about trying to gauge your style, um, that's going to be key in determining like the direction that you want to go and what your stylist recommends. Cool. So I mean, let's talk about like, you know, what brought you here? Like, uh, like, what, like, what exactly was the problem that uh, spurred on? Was it something you saw like it was missing in the market? Was it a personal issue that you're like, oh, man, I wish shopping was better? Or was it iteration from like a previous idea? Uh, it was the last one. So like I was saying before, we had that localized app. Yeah. Um, and really the premise was, you know, we learned a ton because we had, you know, hundreds of merchants. We had... Um, uh, you know, uh, thousands of clients and we had a ton of transactions and like through that experience, we were like, Hey, um, you know, buying clothes on e-commerce is not optimal, right? There are a ton of problems with it, right? All of the reasons it's discovery fit, pairing stuff together, delivery and returns. So from what we learned, you know, we thought there was a huge opportunity to deliver that white glove e-commerce service and solve all of these problems. So that's mm. why we uh, built Manor. Um, and then why focus on men is usually <laughs> another question that we get. Um, there's a lot less out there for men, frankly, right? Yep. Menswear is, um, growth in menswear is outpacing women's wear. It's going to continue to do so each of the next five years. Men, interest in men's fashion is growing. There are less options available. The market is very big. And, uh, you know, frankly, like our customers, they would prefer, you know, they see the value in having somebody do that task for them. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a, a recreational activity for them. They don't consider it that. No, definitely. So, like, what about, like, when it came to developing the system, right? Like, um, yeah. you talked about you had, like, a previous uh, system before this. Yeah. Um, are you a programmer yourself? Do you, you know, are you, like, you, do you have co-founders? Like, how did you get the system up? Um, so, I come from a business background. I spent uh, five years in management consulting before creating my, my first startup, uh, Localize. Um, so, that's where I came from. Uh, and, yeah, we've just had help from talented tech people uh, helping us uh, build, um, you know, both this app and Manor right now. 
Perfect. Sorry, I'm just gonna uh, adjusting here. Um, yeah. So getting to that, right? Like, I mean, uh, I found a lot of people who have, you know, sometimes you're getting into tech without a tech background. They always have this issue of like developing a product, getting the product made the way that they they had in mind, moving that forward, yep. right? Yep. Um, yep. How like you know, did you experience any struggles like this trying to like get your market out, or get your product out? Yeah. So great question. Um, the first app. Uh, localized. We raised uh, we raised capital. We raised a very nicely sized angel round. It gave us a good amount of runway to hire resources, and we did. We had great design, uh, executed the app. Uh, it worked well. Like we really kind of focused on building this this great product. But I think like one of the key learnings from that whole experience was. Um, you've got to be doing, you know, testing at a smaller scale when you're in the ideation stage, instead mm -hmm. of going out to build a product right away. So with Manor, it was a little bit different. Like we, we, we did a lot of stuff manually upfront and just kind of built up the system with the minimal amount of tech as possible or any tools that we would have. We did have somebody on our team helping us build the custom development as required. Um, but you know, it's just building up in small increments and not trying to build that product that's perfect. And you have that, like, you know, ta-da moment when you release it, uh, without, you know, having a lot of insights along the way. So like the product to where we have it now is just basically built in blocks of multiple smaller iterations and each gate that we would cross, we had like KPIs and we had like insights that we would use to justify building the features as we went along. So the short answer is a little bit at a time. Cool. Um, I mean, that's a, that's the best way to do it, right? Get iterative and you get get better at it. Um, so like more about the, the fashion zone and DMZ and how they came to play and support. So the, your first solution, right? Uh, actually, before you get down to that, your first solution, localize. What was the story there? Did you have to, did you pivot into Manor or did you shut that down and, and you transition here? It was the latter. Um, we shut down the business and then, you know, we kind of went through a long period of, you know, thinking about what this new business could potentially look like a lot mm -hmm. of different ideas, a lot of testing. And yeah, it took, it took us some time before we launched, we launched Manor about a year after about nine months after we closed down localize. Wow. I mean, that's always a hard decision to make, you know, to move away from something you took time to build out and uh, and to position yourself back into the into the building blocks and uh, and start again. I mean, kudos on you guys. That's that's hard to do and uh, great to see that uh, you know you take those steps. Um, so, uh, when did Toronto Fashion Zone come into play? I mean, uh, Horizons Fashion Zone and DMZ come into play? Yeah, they've just been the most, you know, excellent partners that you could ever ask for. Uh, you know, we're very fortunate to be with both. Um, they're both extremely helpful in, in every way. Like both are amazing at, you know, connecting us with people and talent and resources, like on an advisory level to help grow our business. Like, for example, Fashion Zone, um, you know, when we launched Manor, like our um, network and breadth and depth of knowledge wasn't very vertical focused in fashion. So, you know, with the Fashion Zone, they were, you know, instrumental in bringing in advisors and fashion experts uh, during the ideation phase, but also like through execution to help us with like that uh, actual execution, not only fashion, but retail itself. And, you know, through them, we were able to really learn the business 
uh, on the DMZ, um, on the tech side, they've been, you know, incredible for us. So DMZ is amazing for like building and scaling tech companies, right? Whether it comes to technical help, um, marketing help, business strategic help, and, you know, just a wide array of, of resources. So both programs are incredible. Um, and I highly recommend them for any entrepreneurs, um, you know, really looking for, for help on getting their business to the next level. No, absolutely. Can, can you talk a little more about uh, like uh, Rights and Fashion Zone and um, of course. Uh, like, you know, what kind of work they do? Yeah, so um, it's a it's an excellent program where um, they offer, I think, like probably you can group it into two different buckets. Mm-hmm. The first one is more like educational. So they're always offering like very relevant and timely um, courses taught by subject matter experts that will teach you like very technical skills like digital marketing or like trend spotting or like, um, you know, things that require like very specialized knowledge. They'll bring in um, a subject matter expert and make these courses available and they're relevant and timely all the time. Um, That would be the first bucket. The second are the advisor meetings, which, you know, there's a ton of value there. They, They have an excellent team of advisors. I've worked with many of them and all of them are excellent. Um, you can just simply book time in their calendars and, mm-hmm. you know, you can ask very specific questions depending on what their area of expertise is. Yeah. Um, is it specialized towards fashion or e-commerce? Like, like what's oh, all, the... all, all of them. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, there would be, you know, people that I would work with that are excellent at, PR or excellent at like fundraising or excellent at uh, with retail experience, excellent at menswear specifically, like um, just kind of all, all of those, all of those skills. Cool. Um, awesome, man. So like talking more about like uh, the, the change right now in e-commerce and how things are fluctuating, right? Like any major patterns you're seeing that are really interesting, like any kind of behavioral changes, any kind of market changes, shifts in the market? Yeah, well, adoption of e-commerce has gone up, you know, substantially, right? Like before mm-hmm. the pandemic, only 20% of transactions were done uh, on e-commerce. 80% were still done and brick and mortar. Obviously, that's flipped, right? <laughs> Probably 180 if you look at the mm-hmm. latest data, at least in our area, just because stores are closed. We've been on lockdown, you know, for... Forever. Know, probably Forever. seven seven months out of the last 12 right maybe we had a span of four or five months that we were open so yeah you there's really it's e-commerce is the only game in town yeah so you know um that's that's a seismic shift where yeah you know people well, are forced what i'm what I'm, uh, what I'm curious about is like you know behavior patterns are changed too like people are not going out there's no parties right there's yeah uh, you know there's no yeah. even no even going into work Right. Yeah. So the type of clothing uh, I would imagine has changed too. It's more lounge or comfort wear for you to wear at home that kind of makes you feel like you're at work or not. Yeah. So like, you know, I'll just talk about like our customers, right? Like our, our customers, a lot of them are buying stuff um, from home, right? Mm-hmm. Where like they want to chill at home. So like lounge wear or like, you know, stuff where they don't want to, you know, they want to look good at home, but if they need to step out and run errands, they'll look good as well. They want stuff for Zoom calls. So like, 
you know, a lot of them, you know, one of the most important things is comfort. If you're going to be sitting at home all day, you want to wear something comfortable. But if you're going on a Zoom call, you know, you don't want to wear like a, a T-shirt with like a stain on it or, or, or something, you know. So like just the fabrics, stuff with a lot of stretch. We're recommending like dress shirts that on a Zoom, they look like, a you know, a dress shirt, but really they feel like a T-shirt, like very mm -hmm. functional stuff. So that's like one bucket, like that very like work from home type of stuff, stuff that looks good, but it's very functional and really kind of stepping up their game in that area. The second is people that are buying in advance of going back to work. When you're at home, you have a good opportunity to look at your closet. A lot of our clients know that, you know, the days of dressing up in a suit and tie are basically dead. Like my suits have been collecting dust in my closet. They don't get worn at all. It was something that I wore every day. And, you know, even speaking to, you know, um, my former colleagues and, and partners at the consulting firms that I worked at, you know, the behavior is the same. They said, we don't wear suits anymore. Like that's, that's dead. Maybe like we'll wear, you know, a, a suit, but with like a casual shirt or, or, you know what I mean? Something like that, like suit and tie is done. It, so the transition is a lot more casual mm -hmm. and our customers are recognizing that and they're buying for the more casual workplace and casual is a lot harder to do. I'll be honest. Like, when you do a suit, it's a uniform. So you have your rotation of suits, your rotation of shirts, your rotation of ties, and you mix and match. And you know, like what goes with what. And some stuff goes with everything. Yep. Like a blue suit or a gray suit is like pretty easy to, to style, right? Or black suit. So um, now it's like a lot more complicated with casual. It's like, do I wear a blazer? Is it like a, does my suit blazer go well with jeans? No, it doesn't look good. Right. Okay. Well, what kind of blazer should I be wearing? Is it a structured blazer, unstructured blazer? My sweaters. Do I wear polos with the blazer? What kind of shoes am I wearing? Like, the the whole wardrobe needs to be revamped. So they're like anticipating this and they're making that change because like we firmly believe that you know when you're gonna want to get back out there in the world, you know you want to be on your A game. You want to be your best self. You haven't seen people in a long time. You know you want to look good and you know, people are already thinking ahead and are, are, are planning for that. Yeah. So what do you think uh, is going to happen like post pandemic, right? Do you think people are going to rush back into, into, into stores that retail is going to you know, have like another boom or people are going to get used to, you know, e-commerce and it's going to be there to stay like, or is, you think there's going to be a hybrid model? People want to do both. Well, I think, the industry is in transition because people's adoption of e-commerce is making the way for more innovation on how you can do things better. You know, if only 20% of the sales were done in e-commerce, maybe that was good enough. But now if that's moving to 50%, you know, all of the experience, you know, that people in that additional 30% that weren't using e-commerce mm -hmm. before, those expectations are going to be different. There was probably a reason why they weren't using e-commerce in the first place. So it opens up, you know, opportunities for innovation to help appeal to these customers. So I think e-commerce is definitely here to stay. And I also think that, you know, what happened with the pandemic is going to pave the way for more innovation and a lot more advancement in terms of how people interact with products, purchase products, and just their overall buying experience. Yeah, but what I'm what I'm concerned about is like, is like what is uh, what is the future going to shift to like with the rapid change, right? Like, I mean, think about like all the mechanic me mechanisms that are shifted, right? Like, a lot of people's first jobs are retail jobs, right? Like, a lot of people's first customer jobs are like 
you know, being in this customer service slash like retail environment, we're helping people in. Now that's that's all going to dissipate, right? Um, the, you know, they're talking about the death of malls. Malls they're looking into like our malls going to be repurposed into completely different uh, centers, right? There was like a um, project set forward um, that was uh, proposing that malls, especially the the ones that are, you know don't get enough flow through rate to keep alive, we turn them into like innovation centers. Right, give them to startups, uh, give them to e-commerce startups, even right, and let them use the, the use the the brick and mortar aspect of it, and turn them more into incubators, almost right, um, to in order to like to start up and scale um, like e-commerce platforms, almost or or like yeah, like or like uh, more digital stores, but give them a hybrid model where it's almost like a pop-up model, you know, like different stores come in, but then once customers get used to it, there's an online version of it, or companies can, companies that are online-based can come in and, you know, have a physical presence. And it's more like ethereal, right? Less like lockdown brick and mortar, more like a pop-up model or things like that, right? Like, do you see that, that the retail experience is going to have to shift? And if it does, like, you know, you have any thoughts towards it? Definitely. So, you know, malls, um, I don't think are, are dead, but I think... Uh, I don't think they're dead at all because they're gathering spots, especially tier one malls like tier mm. one spot malls are gathering spots for people. You know, think of the Eaton Center, right? The Eaton Center, you know, how many millions of, of people walk through there on a regular basis in terms of foot traffic? You know, there's probably hundreds of thousands of people walking through every single day, right? Every single day. Um, so. You know, on that, from that aspect, you know, they always have beautiful restaurants, the latest stores, you know, places where you can go and interact with products. But I think innovation will pave the way for uh, opportunities to shop differently and will pave the way for, you know, innovation of how malls are, like what the mall experience is like. I think um, having, you know, online, offline experiences and being very clever about how you marry the two are going to be key for, you know, these kind of uh, brick and mortar shopping experiences as we move forward in the future. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, th there's definitely going to be changes as if there's results, but like going back into the home, right. And uh, it shifts like, uh, are you, you're living in the city, right? And are you in Toronto? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Toronto. like, yep. so um, in Toronto, like you know, we're seeing this, we're seeing this huge dispersion, right? Like Scott Galloway talks about it a lot. Like he's calling it, he's calling this time like the pandemic, like the great financially, the great dispersion. So unlike the Great Recession, unlike the Great Depression, we're not seeing a um, erasure of wealth. Like wealth is not being lost, but rather shifted, right? And uh, the biggest change in wealth is going from the number one asset class in the world is the commercial real estate and moving to the number two asset class in the world, residential real estate. So as uh, co co you know, commercial office buildings go defunct and people are not going into retail locations, commercial uh, spaces are taking a hit, but the home, uh, residential spaces are, t are going up. So services like yours, you know, that target uh, and service the residential markets, right? people who are sitting at home and you know, in need access, uh, are definitely in the upcome, like on the on the come up, right? So that's part of what's driving uh, driving that. But there's a lot of like underlying economic factors changing that too, right? Like what's going to happen? Like people are going to want more spacious homes. People are going to want more, uh, like you know, have you know, as long as you have internet access and access to like you know some highway somewhere, people are more willing to go out into remote locations, right? And just yep. you know, if everything's online, like you know, and everything's accessible, 
why not go somewhere where things are cheaper things are like a little bit a little bit slow moving so we're like we're seeing this almost re- like reverse of like the last like hundred years of development where people are trying to go into more urban areas towards where the action is right they say like you know location 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 is so important now with the internet location is no longer important physical space is being taken away right you can operate from kind of anywhere right and um, that's going to be changing culture changing how cities are are, are going to function and flow right and changing uh, consumer behavior overall right so i'm really interested in seeing how that interplays yeah there's it's it's just a it's a massive shift for sure and you know nobody knows really how it's going to play out um but you know i think i i agree with you definitely that we're big changes are underway and innovation or is going to be key i think we're at you know uh, a really key time in in our history and it's going to be very interesting to see how the next few years play out definitely definitely um another thing about you talk about e-commerce and stuff like you know tesla made um uh, made big headways recently yeah you know accepting try you know talking about accepting bitcoin as a payment system right yeah for for freaking teslas for a car yeah you can buy a car with bitcoin now yeah right um, do cool. you see the yeah yeah do you see the crypto space uh, you know coming up now becoming more accessible as like a payments platform, right? What you have thoughts? you ever used Bitcoin for payments before? It's horrible, <laughs> right? I mean, you, did you, you have a bad experience with it? I, I I've had excellent experiences. So Bitcoin, you know, like so, there's like a huge transition. There's tra- like a transit cost, right? When you transfer from your wallet to elsewhere, right? Yes. So it's not meant for a payment system. Like for a big purchase, like a Tesla, maybe, but you can't be like spending it on like a two dollar item or like a twenty dollar item or even a two hundred dollar item because you're gonna lose a lot of, uh, into into like into, into transaction costs, right? Yeah. Like there, it's Bitcoin's forked model, Litecoin, it solves this problem, right? It's a lighter version, so it costs less transition cost. It's meant for more ethereal purchases. That's been there, but like overall, right? Like there, there was like a um, there was an article that came out uh, this week. Right, talking about um, from one of the big banks um, in the U.S. Anyways, talking about how you know they the guy said one line that really stood out. It's like it's like if you're a, if you're like a, like a large company now, right, and you're only accepting fiat, you're taking a risk <laughs> because because like the because you're now fiat is directly proportional to the governments and 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 the nationalities you're a part of, where like cryptos are now more more broadly based, right. Uh, there was a factoid that came came out today. Uh, Bitcoin now, right? Everyone talks about price, but when it comes to user adoption, it has the same amount of users as the internet did in 1998, right? And if you look at the user adoption curve, it's been a linear growth upwards, right? Even yep. though the price has been greatly fluctuating. So I think there is some utility in crypto and how to be utilized. But have you have you thought of it as like a more as a payments platform? You know, honestly, it's just priorities right now. Yeah. I, I think it's something that we would definitely consider. Just think about it, like very simply. You know, you're a, you're a guy that has been investing in Bitcoin and you've made a ton of money. I think across like 51k. It's not even you know real money at a certain point, right? So mm-hmm. if you want to be making these purchases, it's not coming out of your bank balance. Your 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 actual balance is appreciated by so much. I think it's a, a no-brainer, especially something for a Tesla, right? Like if you're trying to sell a product, you know, make it available, um, you know, in anything that, you know, makes it convenient for people to buy. 
I agree. I agree with you. You know, Bitcoin is expensive, so it's not something like I've, to be honest, I've just been recently experimenting with it over the last few months, just out of curiosity, like mm -hmm. not, you know, I haven't really held it as an investment. Um, and then even in terms of like keeping money in there, it's been too volatile to have like practical use if like the <laughs> value is fluctuating so much, but I have been experimenting it over the last few months uh, and really get a handle for what it's all about. The actual transfer of payments is is very smooth. So like looking at like the future uh, as like crypto becoming mainstream, I think that's your question, right? Like is crypto be going to become more mainstream? I, I think absolutely. Abs there's no there's no doubt about it. You know, things you've got to consider, of course, are like um, tax implications and you've got to consider, um, you know, what the government will uh, permit and not permit, like as things become more mainstream um you know there will be more regulation and you know maybe it'll make bitcoin itself less convenient but i think you know maybe bitcoin is the future maybe another cryptocurrency is the future but anything that enables seamless payments like it does like bitcoin is i think that technology is is amazing and mm -hmm. you know i don't see the point like i don't like there's just a natural evolution like i don't carry cash really or or paying cash it's not something that i do anymore right so yeah. you know there's no function for it so i think like the tech makes a lot of sense and i think that trend is is definitely one that's here to stay yeah i mean you're absolutely right like i haven't felt cash in my hand in so long <laughs> you know i haven't yeah. transacted with it i haven't uh, i haven't withdrawn it right everything's becoming more way more digital right <clears throat> yeah mm -hmm. totally totally you have the tap on your your visa, like I like using credit card because of the points personally, yeah. right? So, you know, I think maybe incorporating some of that, I think everybody would, would use it. Just kind of ease of ease of use of payments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, what's next for you guys? So you're, you're quite right now, you're in the market. People are, you people already have users. Yeah, we are. Right. Yeah, we, yeah. We launched last year. We launched last January. So we've been um you know in the market for 14 months 40 months perfect so what would like what did that lead to um how do you grow from here yeah so year one was all about um you know figuring out a few things right mm -hmm. figuring out um you know is there a market for this service do we have a product who's the customer and then just kind of building a process around that so it was all kind of in in sequence right like you know, Q1 last year was all about um, testing out the service, you know, and then you get to quarter two. And then that was a little bit of a funny one because of like the pandemic. And then, you know, quarter three was we had some leads on who our target customer was and really catered to them. And then Q4 was building process around that. And then now kind of the next phase for us is scale. So uh, you know, we have customer acquisition channels that scale. Uh, we have a process that scales and it's going to be about really trying to get the word out as much as we can about Manor and getting as many people as possible using Manor, uh, loving Manor, telling their friends about us and, you know, giving us feedback on, on how we can continue to serve them better and, and just build the best possible experience possible. Is there um, limitations on like... Um what localities you can serve like your model is ethereal right like anywhere from anyone can technically order a product and deliver to them is there a is there ever a logistics problem 
No, um, no, no logistics problem, but we, we cater to the GTA. So mostly the GTA, but we go, you know, we go as far as like Hamilton or, or Ajax, like anywhere within, within kind of a reasonable distance to the downtown core. But the majority of our business is in Toronto. We're just in Toronto right now. Gotcha. Any plans to you know, go to Vancouver or a different city? Uh, we think there's a ton of opportunity in Toronto, so we're just super focused on uh, you Girl, know, getting yeah. the word out here and yeah, just you know getting the Toronto market you know as far as far as we can take it, and then you know we'll we'll reevaluate you know when the time comes. Perfect, man. So talking about like e-commerce and and um, uh, and, uh, and and payments and stuff, right? Like cybersecurity has become like uh, one of the biggest concerns now that everyone's working from home. Uh, and you know, uh, like they're they're no longer protected from, um, like you know, co like commercial centers where they work out of. Being in a, in running a startup, it's kind of risky. You know, we've heard about at least two, three startups uh, in the past year that have hit been hit with like ransomware attacks. That have you know, like uh, someone on the team will get an email that looks like it's from the the founder, but it'll have two dots in between the first and last name instead of one dot open up a PDF and boom, like there's like a virus in the system. There's been a lot of like, a lot, a lot of shady things happening, right? Um, you know, have you been, you know, educating yourself or like trying to protect the protect the firm about um, you know, how to be better secure? Yeah, we've had like fraudulent transactions that have tried to come through, but it doesn't make it through like our, our processing system so far. Like mm -hmm. we've got some good controls and, you know, in place to detect it at, at multiple levels. Yeah, I mean, that's from the customer side, of course, right? But actually operating a company itself, like one of the things like I've become super paranoid is like using like a, a VPN service, uh, you know, two-factor authentication on everything. You know, I started becoming more and more paranoid because like like uh, we're seeing more and more like intrusion level attacks happening or people just messing around, right? Like, uh, like you know, like cybersecurity becoming more and more of a concern, right? And one of the things that like in the innovation community is that, you know, yeah, we have these accelerators that, and incubators that teach us, you know, how to get your products out there, how to get product market fit. But like, there's very little digital training on how to operate as a, a you know, in a digital environment, right? Best practices, how to be secure. Like even, it, it might seem like basic knowledge, but like if you don't standardize or like at least thinking, you put some thought into it as a founder, right? Like you're, you know, like there's a lot of like, you know, variations to that. So I feel like there's there is need to be a lot more, not education, but at least more awareness training, right? For anybody that's operating a business right now, because you know one of the things like I think we're lacking as a nation is like some kind of like just like you know like like an RCMP for the web. You know, if someone hacks your account, who do you go to? Like whether it be a social media account or um, you know like a bank account is different. I mean that's that that goes under that goes straight up uh, you know level of security, but like someone hacks your social media account, someone takes down your website, someone hits you the DOS attack, like you know there's no like one stop place to go. Like you got to go get a private solution to this, right? And even before that even happens, you know how do you perform best practices to like better ourselves, right? I'm trying to get better in training into that, and uh, and and gather more knowledge in that space. Like have you, uh, you know, put any thought of yourself? Um, you know, the payment security is the biggest one that we're concerned with right now. So we've yeah. got like a lot of processes in place, you know, to prevent fraudulent transactions. I think outside of that and just in general, like 
you know, we're working on a, a corporate partnership right now, for example. Um, and, you know, we've invested a lot in terms of cybersecurity to your point and, you know, making sure that we're compliant with this corporate partner. So that's the other piece. Like, you know, we've, we've got, you know, um, there's a lot that was required in terms of security, backups, penetration testing, and, you know, all, all the work. So that, I think it just goes with being a, a modern company, especially one, if you're a startup considering corporate partnerships, you know, you're going to have a long list of requirements that you need in order to, you know, meet those, um, those standards. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of like, um, the clothing side of things, right? So, uh, one of the cool things that I, I like is like, um, but, but like the fashion industry has been fast fashion, right? So like Zara, like the way they like industrialized fashion, right? Was really astounding, right? So, um, I mean, one of the one of the key breakaways they did was break down the turnaround time from like you know getting things to market. So rather than like a, you know some off-season designer designing something, then send to a manufacturer and giving it out there, they have this very iterative process they built into like how to be at the top of the curve, uh, almost like as if they're the ones inventing fashion or, or like being part of the culture of fashion, yep. right? Yeah. Um, yep. You know, they shorten the time frame using technology um, into delivering products to market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you, how do you like keep a, like when it comes to fashion, when things are so ethereal, how do you keep like a diverse portfolio of assets or, um, you know, or stock available? Um, so, you know, we just, the, the beautiful thing about manner is that like we offer infinite breadth and depth of products. Like we have a very wide array of partnerships that we have right now Mm -hmm. and just kind of enable us to you know, offer more products than any individual store because we combine yeah, tons yeah. of brands, tons of retailers. So that's the beauty about Manor. It's literally a one-stop shop for our customers and we can, you know, curate looks for you based on, you know, your personalized needs during that specific shopping session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one of the things that always stood out to me is like, I've, I've never been a fashion person, but my, but my sister, right? When I was like growing up, right? One of the things that like really got to me was like, now I was wearing like a maroon shirt or something and she looked at me and she's like, yo, maroon's really in right now. That's sick. And I'm like, what do you mean it's in right now? Like, how is a color in, right? Like, I never got it. Like, I, like, I always, always been like out, of, out of, uh, like out of the box. I used to like wear what I wanted to wear, but that really got to me. Like, well, how do you know things are in, right? And that always like stuck out to me. Like, you know, like I, I have a background in like psychology and neuroscience. So I started thinking about this as like a, as like a psychology experiment, right? Like, okay, cool, like, we have, like, this group of people, right, and somehow there's leaders in this group of people deciding what the culture is, deciding what's in, what's cool, what's not, who are these people, right, who are these influencers, like, you know, now we have, like, the social media influencers, yeah, but, like, who are the people who are setting trends or, like, motivating people towards a certain trend, you know, how does that all, right, right, I think that's one of the most, one of the interesting things of, like, uh, of humanity, right, is the culture, like, where does it come from, like, how does it change, who are the ones that are setting it? You know? Yeah, that's a that's a great that's a great question. So there's actually a profession, and it's mm-hmm. a very lucrative profession and a very important profession in fashion called trend spotting. Mm. And you know, brands rely on this to be able to build inventory that will sell, um, be able to anticipate what the new trends will be. So it's a combination of things, right? There's a study and like in the whole, you know, expertise in terms of how to do this, but, you know, cultural um, icons and kind of just 
things that are happening in our world and our culture right now play a huge impact, right? And, you know, movies, um, music videos, um, social media, um, all of these things, you know, I think play a massive impact. If you see somebody wearing something and, you know, it looks really good on them, you're inspired, um, you know, you'll have sequence of people you'll have like the early adopters just like technology the same thing with fashion you'll have like the early adopters you know wearing and then it'll kind of just move along the line so i mean this is uh definitely the business and you know trends is uh is a big component mm -hmm. um have you been following like uh like are you on tiktok um i am yeah yeah am, so definitely one of the one of the crazy things about tiktok is how viral things are right like like, like, cause it's, it's video, it's short video. It's like how Instagram yep. used to be, but like, it's, it's way faster cycle, right? Trends on TikTok kind of move really quickly. And, yep. um, I was talking to someone about, you know, talking to, talking to someone who runs an ad agency and they're like, there's no commercial market yet for ads on TikTok because the people using TikTok are generally younger generation kids who don't have money, at least not yet. Yeah. So yeah. all these major brands are looking at it. Like, you know, like hungry wolves, but like just waiting for the market to age to a point where like, you know, there's a, it's commercially viable. But like what is viable is like is, is trend setting, right? If you as a business or an influencer can set a trend ahead of the curve and can measure out the bounce, like, you know, bounce of it, then you can capitalize on it, right? So I think some examples were like there's there's recently a few items of clothes that came out and it became like like associated as TikTok gear. Right. And it's like it's known as that. And then suddenly people start buying it through that. Right. So I think TikTok now operates like a shop um, through through TikTok where you can buy like merchandise and shop through it. And you know, because they're, they're trying to figure out how to build and make revenue out of, off of it. But like uh, one of the interesting cases there is, you know, you know, that 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 back and forth market that TikTok can, can, can perform, right? You have a whole bunch of attention. The attention graph is huge. People are taking attention are huge. But the people who can directly influence it and also, uh, you know, sell through it. Like, you know, kind of like what Instagram is promising with Instagram stores, right? But like with TikTok, you know, we're seeing an emergence of that in, in that market space, right? So I think what I'm curious about is like how the trend spotting changes with digital, Right. I mean, is it eventually going to be an algorithm that just watches, you know, like what people are talking about, what people are wearing, and then like just capturing all those data points? Or is someone already doing that? You know, I think that's interesting to look into. Yeah, no, there's a lot of that already going on. Definitely. There are, you know, businesses that are very savvy with uh, <laughs> identifying, you know, these uh, these insights that will help generate sales. Yeah. Perfect. Stefan, I mean, uh, I, I think this has been a great conversation. Um, you know, we don't get to often talk about uh, trends and fashion. Uh, I, you know, I try to do a, a, my, my best job trying to be relevant. But uh, hey, man, what you're doing is pretty cool. Um, I think you're in a great space, right? Uh, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your ideas and insights. Thanks, Ravi. Really appreciate you having me. It was a pleasure and uh, keep in touch. Definitely. Uh, stick around. We'll do a quick debrief. But for everyone who tuned in, uh, thanks for watching.